We do want to thank you for being here this morning. I know um, many of uh, Gardner-Webb students, this is Parents Weekend for Gardner-Webb students. I know we have some parents who are here uh, with your students, so great to have you here. Uh, even there's a family here from uh, the great city of Wilmington, North Carolina. Great city there, I tell you. Bred and born there and uh, whatever else you do there, but anyway. If you have a Bible, turn to 1 John chapter 3, 1 John chapter 3. We are in week three of experiencing God, and I hope that God has already showed up and showed you some things about His Word, His, His ways in which He's working, not just the ways He's working, but also the love that He has for you in that work. And the thing that we've learned so far in experiencing God, we're in our, our 12-week journey here, is that God is always at work around you. Everywhere you look, God is working. And he's been doing that ever since the beginning of creation. He's been working. And then secondly, and this is where we're going to be turning our attention to this morning, God pursues a continuing love relationship with you that is real and personal. God desires, think about it, the God of the universe desires to have a personal relationship with you. For you to join him in his work. And so today we're going to be looking at the pursuing love of God. Now when you think about the theme of love, it's all through scripture. John 3, 16, we all know this one. For God so loved the world. And then we come to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. We've got a whole chapter that seems to be dedicated to this idea of love. And then we make our way to the memory verse we have this week uh, in your study. Matthew chapter 22, Jesus said to him, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the greatest and most important commandment. Now think about that. The love that we see in Scripture is not just a love that God extends to us. It's not just a love that we have for one another. It's also a love that we have for him. But that love we have for him, as we're going to see today, is a response to the love that he has for us. And so think about it. Love, the important theme in the Bible, is really when you say, what does it really all center around? It centers on the fact that it is motivated by God the Father to send his son to the cross. Its motivation is to, that Jesus died on the cross, and it's also that kind of love that God offers us. And when you think about it, it's unconditional love. Now, let me ask you a question. How many of you are grateful for that, that it's unconditional? I mean, think about it. We, we've many times made a mess of our lives, but God desires to have an intimate relationship with us. So look at the introduction there on your outline. Because God loved us first, he pursued us. The love we have for him, as we said already, is a reflection of his love. Now think about it. He pursued us. He, he extended his love towards us. And now the love we have for him, because of the way he revealed himself, is really a reflection of his love for us. Therefore, to truly love God, we must attempt to understand his love for us and respond accordingly. Respond accordingly. And so this morning, we're going to put his love under the microscope. The first thing we see is the magnitude of God's love. God's love is unique, and let's face it, nothing compares to it. Now, you think about a mother's love for a child. You, you think about the, the love that that mother has, and, and, and we know a mother's love is one of the, the, the greatest relationships there is when it comes to who we are as a people. 
But I want you to really go beyond that. So many times more than that, even that love for the mother, uh, for the child, God's love for us is much greater than that, if you could ever imagine. In 1 John chapter 4, verse 8, it tells us that God is love. So here's what we need to understand about God and love. God is not just a God who loves. The Bible says God is love. Now think about that. He operates from who he is. What do we know about God? He's, 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 he's love. He's, he's pure. He's holy. He's all these things. But how does he act? How does he act? He acts through the nature and the character of who he is. And the fact that he loves is not just something he chooses to do. It is who he is. He is love. And so, first of all, I want us to look at this magnitude of his love. First of all, it's privilege. In 1 John chapter 3, we look at verse 1. But before I say that, I want you to think about John who wrote this. John who wrote this was the disciple John. If you go read the Gospels, here's what you'll find. You'll find this theme repeated several times in the Gospel, in, in the gospel of John. John would refer to himself as the disciple whom Jesus loved. Now, now think about that. That, that. that sounds real cool, doesn't it? I mean, he doesn't say, I, John. He basically says, I am the disciple that Jesus loved. He experienced the love of God. Now John is writing these uh, three epistles here, first, check, uh, second, and third John. And he's basically telling us the, the, the extent of his love. So look at 1 John chapter 3, verse 1. He says, Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us. When he says bestowed on us, it means that love that he extended to us, that we should be called children of God. Now, think about it. The phrase, what manner of love, means this. Something so extraordinary that it seems impossible. Now, think about that. You see, see, I've said this many times. I came to know Jesus as my Lord and Savior when I was eight years old. As I've said many times, I can't imagine a time in my life where I, or I can't think of a time in my life where I, I didn't know Jesus existed, that God existed, and the love that God had through Jesus to, towards us. I've always known the story, and I think so many times we've grown up with the story, we've been familiar with the story so long, that we fail to, to understand the magnitude of really what that love is all about. The whole wonderful plan of salvation, I want you to think about it, begins with the pursuing love of God. The Bible says that basically that the Holy Spirit of God really comes to, to us. When, he, when God is about to reveal, us, uh, reveal himself about something of who he is or what he's up to, the Holy Spirit, the Bible says, comes to us. And that's where our salvation began because God extended that invitation of love towards us. In 1 John chapter 4, verse 19, it literally says this. We love him before he first loved us. Now, now think about that. Because he first loved us. We love him. It's a response to his love, as already said, but because he loved us first. And then in Romans 5, 8, we all know the verse, but God demonstrates his own love towards us, own love towards us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Christ took care of our greatest need. But then John goes further to describe this love, describing his privilege. Look, look at what it says at the end of verse, or, or the middle part of verse one, that we should be called children of God. If you do a careful study of the word called there, that we should be invited to be called children of God. 
So think about it. God has a love for us. The Bible says, for God so loved the world. And, and so he has a love for us. And, and that world includes a big old place that he's inviting us to come and part, be a part of his plan. What was his plan? It was a redemptive plan to restore us, to bring us back from the grasp of sin to, to a place where he has redeemed us. And now we can become an object of his love. So God's love, think about it, brings us as followers of Jesus into a new relationship, a new reality that has privileges. Let me tell you about some of the privileges. First of all, we're born again. How many of you heard that phrase before? We're born again. What does that really mean? Here's what it really means. And again, we, we kind of lose sight of the magnitude of what all this means. It means literally that our past is erased. How many of you are grateful for that? That we don't have to be haunted by the past, the guilt and the shame of the past. That's what it means to be born again. Not only that, our old life dies. The reality in which we live before we came to know Jesus, that part of us should die. And it creates a new start for us. A new life begins at that moment. Secondly, we become recipients of his unconditional, lavish Love, And that's how the Bible really describes his love. It's unconditional and it's lavish. That's the love he has for us. And then this, we become heirs of God because of what Jesus Christ did on our behalf. I want you to think about that. That's a pretty big magnitude of love there and its privileges. But not only do we see the privileges of God's love, we also see its perplexity. In 1 John chapter 3, let's start at the very beginning of verse 1. It says, But behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us, that we should be called children of God. And then listen to this. Therefore the world does not know us, because it did not know Him. Now again, this, if you look at the last part of verse 1, it's in context of what's already been previously discussed. It's in the context of this love that, that is almost impossible to imagine. And so he's saying this, that the world basically doesn't understand that love. So, so it means this. It means that the world does not get it. It, it. it does not get us. So the love that he has for us and the work that he does in us basically is perplexing to the world. Now, how many of you have noticed that when we in our human nature, when we don't understand something, many times we attack it? How many of you noticed that that's pretty much human nature? Many times the things we don't understand brings out insecurities in us. It brings out a side to us that we probably aren't proud of. And many times we attack those things. And so if you were to say, okay, why, why is the community, the, the fellowship of believers, the followers of Jesus, why is it that we feel like we're attacked at times? I'm here to convince you not only do we have an evil world that kind of moves in on that because it's a, it's a direct con contradiction to where that life is. But not only that, the world doesn't understand the love that God has for us. They don't get it. Therefore, they don't get us. They don't understand us. And, and that's kind of what he's saying here. So if you go back into verse 1, he says, what manner of love? That word manner in this context means a reaction of astonishment. Obviously, from both believer and unbeliever, the believer stands in astonishment of God's love. But the unbeliever cannot fathom that kind of love. They don't get it. And for many of them, they don't attempt to get it. It goes even further than that. Here in Ephesians chapter 3, look here on the screen. 
I want you to listen to, to the wording here very, very carefully as it relates to God's love. That Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Okay? So he's going to dwell in our hearts. How are we going to see the, the present reality of him dwelling in our hearts? Through faith. That is our response to his love. That you being rooted and grounded in what? His love. This love, which is his love. When it says rooted and grounded, it talks about a permanent place. In his love, respond is a response to his love. So again, and then it says that we, we may be able to comprehend, that we may be able to discover with all the saints what is the width and length and depth and height to know the love of Christ, which passes knowledge. You know what that literally means? To fully understand the love God has for us, cannot, you cannot get there completely intellectually. You can't get there intellectually. You have to experience it. You have to experience it. And that's what we're talking about with experiencing God. We literally have to experience Him. It passes the intellect. And then He says this, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. That is the result of the response. And so really, when you think about it, God's love can only be realized when we respond to his love. I mean, there's a lot of people out there that can quote all the verses. For God so loved the world. I mean, that includes me. God loves me. And we can intellectually understand that, hear that, and say, okay, that's very comforting. But are we experiencing that love that he has for us? Ephesians chapter 3 here is telling us, how do you respond? When you respond, guess what? You're understanding the reality of his love for you. And I think that's the reason this, this, this study course that we're doing as a church is 12 weeks. Uh, and what this, this material is trying to teach us is that you, God must not be uh, experienced just intellectually, but he must be experienced. He must be experienced if we're going to understand the depths of his love. So not only do we see the magnitude of God's love, but next we see the mystery of God's love. There's a mystery associated with it. And it really comes, first of all, through our transformation. So, so literally, here's what's being implied here. We come to know Jesus as our Lord and Savior. We become followers of Jesus. As a result of that, we're able to live in the reality of, of his love. And, and in the reality of his love comes something that takes place in, in us. There's something that comes from that. And here we see it is transformation. All believers go through a transformation when they receive God's love, when they accept Jesus as their Savior. This transformation has been a mystery. There's been so much mystery associated with it that there are parts of this transformation that we're under, that we're currently under, okay, that still that we don't fully comprehend. And some of it that we won't comprehend until we see him face to face according to God's word. So here, here, here it is. God extends his love towards us, okay? He invites us to be a part of his love as we move towards him in relationship to him, okay? We turn from our sin, we turn to him, we say, okay, we're going to respond to your love. As a result of that, there's a new reality that takes place in our life. And before we know it, there's a transformation that's happening in us as we respond to his love. But there's really two parts to this transformation. Look on your outline. First of all, there's a present reality. There's something right now that we can get in touch with when it comes to, to the whole idea of his, this transformation and the love that comes from it. Look at what he says in verse 2. 
Beloved, now we are children of God. In the present, we're children of God. In the present, it means that God has great care for us. And, and, and what he does, and, and Jeff alluded to it a while ago, is that, is that whole idea of his promises, his provision, but most of all, his presence. All that is a reality that can be ours, that can be enjoyed when we come to know him. At the moment when we receive Christ, something miraculous happens. Literally, the Bible says that we're changed. Our soul is changed. Our spirit is awakened. And our body, it begins to understand it. But help me, let me tell you this. Our body will not be completely transformed and changed until we see him face to face. That is a future reality. That's the reason we're sitting here today, aware of God's love, living in the reality of that love, trying to respond to that love, and we still sit here with troubles even though his love is so great. How many of you know what I'm talking about? We're still sitting here in the struggle of that reality. And it's not just trying to fully comprehend it. There's things that seem to be working against it in our flesh. And so our body's not quite, yet, not quite there yet. But right now in the present reality, our soul is being changed and our spirit is being made alive. And why is that? Because we become indwelt by the Spirit of God. I hear people sometimes say, you know something? I, I don't know. I, I, there was a time in my life where I believed Jesus and who he was. I, I thought I repented of my sins. I, I placed my faith in him. But I'm going to be honest with you. I, I really struggle. There's a major struggle going on in my life. And I'm like, well, join the club. Paul even talks about it in Romans chapter 7. Isn't it comforting when you have your heroes talk about the struggle that you're struggling with? You know, and so when we begin to look at this, we begin to understand that not everything has come. The mystery of God's love, some of it is because it's still a mystery and it won't be realized until we see him face to face. But there's another part of it in the fact that we can't fully give ourselves to that because there's a part of us that's not been completed in our transformation. And that is the flesh. The flesh. Not only is there a present reality to this transformation, there's a future reality. Look at verse 2 again, the second part. And it has not been yet revealed what we shall be. He's already said we're children of God. But what he's saying there, if you look at verse 2 carefully, what he's saying there, yeah, the reality is we are children of God. There's something that comes with that. But there's still more that we don't know. There's still more that we don't comprehend. There's still more that awaits us when it comes to understanding that love he has for us. So I want you to hold your place here and turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Now, this is the mystery, the future reality. Here's what's going to happen in the future. Faith will become sight. Do you think that will go a long ways in in understanding a little more fully of of your love for him? Oh, yeah. How about this? We're going to receive a new body that's no longer corrupted that we can fully enjoy the presence of his love and our love will go unhindered. That day is coming. And then we'll no longer be plagued with the pains and sorrows of this world. 
There, there's so many things right now that keeps us from the full reality of the mystery of his love. And part of it comes because our transformation will not be complete until we see him face to face. And then we come to a place like 2 Corinthians chapter 4, look at verse 16. Paul says this, therefore do not lose heart, don't be discouraged, even though our outward man is perishing. Now here he's talking about more of the physical elements of the body. He says that part's perishing, yet the inward man is being renewed day by day. While we may look in the mirror and see things that we do not like anymore, <laughs> And while we see that physically, the body's changing. It seems to be depleting itself. Something is going on. Yet we know that within our reach is the fact that we can still grow day by day to full maturity of understanding more and more of his love to us and our response to that love. And so that's what we're seeing here. He says, for our light affliction, which is but for a moment, is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. It's almost like some of the struggle here in this reality is going to translate beautifully in the reality of eternity because what we had over here will be missing over here. How many of you have ever gone through a major struggle in your life and you get on the other side of it and it's so freeing? It's so freeing. And, and it almost causes you, because you've been set free so much, it almost causes you to look back at what you've been through and almost be grateful for it. You ever been there? I think that's what eternity is going to be. And I think that's what this is telling us. Eternity is going to be one of them things when the, full, when the full reality of our transformation takes place, okay? When we're sitting over here, we're face to face. We're out of the reality in which we're currently in, into this new reality, understanding more fully the, the extent and magnitude of his love, that there's something that is going to take place that when we look back on it, it's going to be, wow, that really is not our reality anymore. Hallelujah. <laughs> That's a good place, right? And then he says this. While we do not look at the things which are seen, that means don't, fake, don't focus on the things that are seen. Now, what would that include? What we see in the mirror. <laughs> what, what, the other things that are going on in our lives, the things that we've gone through that we, we pay, place so much attention to and focus to, all of a sudden... We're realizing that we've sold out to something that's not going to deliver. And you know what's so sad for some people? And, and I've been caught up in it, and every one of you have too. We think that this is going to deliver exactly what we think will fill us or make us more complete. For some people, it's, it's a relationship. For some people, it's having this thing. For this people, it's upgrade. If we'll just upgrade this and we fix this. And before we know it, we've lived a whole life looking for things that don't deliver. I've told you many times, King Solomon, the wisest man that ever lived. Now, you read Ecclesiastes, you start to really wonder, is he really that wise? I mean, he has tried everything in this world, and he basically said, none of it delivers. None of it delivers fully. And he says, it's all vanity. And you see, here's the reality of it all. In our future reality, understanding the transformation that should take place in our lives, and then we see it face-to-face, -face, all of a sudden it's going to be like, wow, that's what that was supposed to be about. Wouldn't it be cool to understand what it was supposed to be about still over here? That over here we can rejoice with him and in him over the transformation that he did in our lives. 
And I think this is really where this verse is going. Don't get so caught up on the scene. For the things which are seen are temporary. These things are temporary. But the things which are not seen, they're eternal. Focus your attention on that. And then you go to chapter 5, verse 1. For we know that if our earthly house, this tent, our bodies is destroyed, we have a building from God. The tent, is, is, it lacks permanence. The tent, it, it, it's frailty. We, we had family camp over here. And there was a noticeable difference between the tent dwellers and the big RV that pulled up over there. I mean, if you were here, you know what I'm talking about. I mean, uh, and of course, I had no part of any of it. My idea of camping is Hampton Inn, always has been. But, but anyway, <laughs> but, but the point I'm trying to make is some of y'all uh, were out there laying on the ground, bless your heart. I don't, well, anyway, I, I guess it was bonding. I, I, I don't get bonding around that. But anyway, uh, tent dwellers. And yet God says there's going to come a time about our transformation that there will be permanence in who we are. Even the frailest part of us, our bodies will be transformed into something eternal. Can you imagine? That's what he's talking about here. Again, what is this? What are we seeing here? The full reality of the transformation that takes place because God loved us and we responded to his love. And then he goes on and says, we have a building, a house not made with hands, but eternal in the heavens. That's our new bodies. For in this, we groan earnestly to be clothed with our habitation, which is from heaven. Of course, that's talking about a body without the pains and limitations. And he's basically saying there's that cry. For we who are in this tent, groan, being burdened, not because we want to be unclothed, not because of further shame and possible guilt, but further clothed that mortality may be swallowed up by life. You see, the things in this reality we live right now, the transformation that's taking place right now, okay? Our soul is being transformed. Our spirit is awakened. There's a bodily thing that is going on, but not fully realized. That won't be fully realized until we're over here. But as, as a result of that, all those other things are going to be swallowed up. This will be our new reality. This will be our future reality. And here's what I want to tell you. Part of that future reality is, is that the mysteries of God will become clear. And part of that mystery is a full grasp, I believe, of his love for us. Right now, we don't see it as clear as he desires it to be clear. Verse 5, for he who has prepared us for this very thing is God, who also given us the Spirit as a guarantee. So we are always confident knowing that while we're at home in this body, we're absent from the Lord. And guess what? When we're present with the Lord, guess what? The full reality of who he is, the full reality of his love for us, the full reality of our transformation, all of it comes to completion once we see him. Once we see him. And, and so he, he's done this. And then he says, for we walk by faith right now, not by sight. We are confident, yes, we'll please rather. He's basically saying, this is a good thing. This will be a good thing to be absent from the body, and to be present with the Lord. Again, what are we talking about? This is the mysterious part of God's love. This is what still awaits us. The full reality, the full understanding, the full transformation that's going to take place, the finality of what it means when it comes to understanding His love for us. But not only do we see a transformation, we also see a revelation. Look at First Corinthians. Uh, I'm sorry, First John chapter three, the third part of verse two. It says, "When he is revealed, we shall be like him, 
Now, that's interesting. It doesn't mean, like some cults teach, that we'll become gods. It has nothing to do with that. The fact you're a created being does not allow you to be God. <laughs> okay? You're a created being. You're not up for Godhead. Okay? That'll never happen. All right? And so what we're seeing here is there's a revelation that comes. At his revealing, at his coming, our faith will become sight. Everything will come together. All the loose ends, all the pains of this world. How many of you are looking forward to that day? The parts we don't understand while we're over here. How many of you are, are, are living in this reality not fully understanding what God's up to? Yeah. Is it possible that we'll leave this world and still not understand until we get here? Yep. The answers may not be until we get here. But that's part of his revealing. But right now he's revealing this thing. All this is going to come together. So the mystery of God's love unfolding in eternity. Look here at 1 Corinthians chapter 13, the latter part. It says this, but when that which is perfect has come. Okay, the perfect thing here he's talking about is in the context of love. Okay, that which is perfect, okay, has come. Who's the embodiment of love? God. Who, who came to reveal that? Jesus, right? Is that what we're talking about? He's the perfection. He is the picture of love. When, he ha when it has come, when it, there's completion and when there's eternity, then what is in part, what's in part, we don't have the whole thing, will be done away with. Time, it's mysteries, all the things we don't understand about this life, that's going to be done away with. And then he says this. He's trying to help put it on the bottom shelf for us. When I was a child, I spoke as a child. I understood as a child. I thought as a child. Now, how many of you love being around children? Don't you love the innocence? At least some of them have. <laughs> no, I'm sorry. <laughs> uh, the, the innocence of a child. How naive they can be. And, and really, to, to fully understand, for a child to grasp the meaning of things, guess what? It takes us explaining things to them. But even with us explaining to them, would you say that we're pretty limited in what we can share with them? Yeah, we really are. How many of you have had a kid ask you a question before and you had no clue what the answer was? And you sit there and think, am I that dumb or is this kid that smart? That they can ask a question that I can't answer. <laughs> But here's what he's saying. He's basically saying, as a child, there's, there's mystery associated. So much mystery that's going to unfold for that child, even living in this world. But there's limitations of knowledge. But then he says, but when I became a man, I put away childish things because I've started fully understanding. For now we see in a mirror dimly. We don't fully understand our transformation. We don't fully understand the response of love that we have for him and the love that he has for us. But then face to face, we see him face to face, we're going to see a full reality to fully understand. Now I know in part, but then I shall know just as I also am known. As I know myself, it will become very clear everything else. The mysteries of God will begin to unfold. Now, let me just say this about eternity. How many of you have ever wondered what will make eternity captivating? Have you ever wondered that? I mean, it's the same old same every day. <laughs> you know what I believe? And maybe, I, maybe I'm imagining a little too deeply here, but I believe, and I really believe this. I think eternity 
is going to be the unfolding of the mysteries of God. And I think eternity, it will grow. I don't think all of a sudden we go into eternity and all of a sudden, bam, there it is. Okay. I think it'll be a, I think it'll be unfolding. I really do. I think it'll, the, 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 just how great his love is will be unfolding. Just how great the mysteries of God is will be unfolding. And I think that's the reason the praise and the worship of God throughout eternity is going gonna, gonna to almost crescendo. It's not going to be the same old saying. I just see something beautiful when it comes to that. The mysteries of God's love will be revealed in eternity. Not only do we see this, the magnitude of God's love and the mystery of God's love, but also the motivation of God's love. And it all begins with his, redemp his redemption of love. His desire to pursue us. Look at verse 3. And everyone who has this hope in him. The word hope here in this context implies that our spiritual lives are in process. How many of you really can see that? We're in a process, okay? Not that we're processing salvation. Salvation's done and settled. That, that's where, we have, where we've been justified, justification. But now our faith is being sanctified. It's a sanctification process taking place. We're in process of becoming more like him. But I say all that to say this. The word hope in this context implies our spiritual lives are in process, awaiting a future completion of our redemption. That's what I've said already. But he seems to be saying this. Now, how, what does that look like? 1 Peter chapter 1. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us, to a living, uh, begotten us again to a living hope. What does this mean? The phrase begotten us again literally implies a new start with restoration. Okay? That's what it means to be born again. Living means to live as one recovering from an illness. What was our illness before Jesus came? Sin, right? Is the lingering effects of sin still around? Yes, the residual effects of sin is still around. But the fact that our sin has been taken care of, it's no longer held against us, that is a big deal. So he says, begotten us again, it's a new start restoration. Living means we're recovering from an illness. And then the hope is the idea of expectation of obtaining it, that it will happen. Now, why do we know? Why is our hope different from the world's hope? It's because of the one who made the promises. It's because of the one that made the promises. And it all comes through Jesus Christ. Okay? So, how does all this come about? What guarantees this? Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled that does not fade away, that's reserved in heaven for who? For you. For you, that's right, who are kept by the power of God through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. Again, it literally says our lives, once we were born again, once we became followers of Jesus, our lives are, are, are moving or processing or moving across to a point in which one day it will all come together. It will all come together. Have you ever noticed how most of the questions people ask in this world, in this life, uh, they don't, many don't realize one day it will all come together? Right now, our questions many times have a form of desperation associated with them. Why would God allow? Why did God do this? How come he seems to be doing that? 
I don't understand the full picture of this. But yet one day, it's all going to become clear. It's all moving to that end. All because we're children of God. All because one day we're going to see him face to face. All because the reality and the mysteries will continue to unfold until we see him. And all of a sudden, wow, there it is. There it is. So let's look at it from this point of view. His redemption of love, his desire to pursue us has many parts. First of all, look on your outline. His son died in our place. Romans 5, 6. From when we were still without strength, there's nothing we could do about our situation. In due time, in the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. What were you before you came to know Jesus? Ungodly. Okay? His son paid the price for our sin. Ephesians 1, 7. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sin, according to the, rich, rich, uh, excuse me, the riches of his grace. And then his son made us right before God. Romans 4, 25, Jesus, who was delivered up because of our offenses, because of our sin, and was raised because of our justification, because we needed to be justified, because we, need to be, we needed to be made clear and made acceptable before God. And it all came from the motivation of God sending his son to die on our behalf. And then next, his son made us a child of God. Ephesians 1, 5, having predestined us to adoption. That's, again, the refer reference to child of God. As sons by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will. Think about this. You are his child according to his pleasure. Again, that's powerful. Again, we're looking at the magnitude of his love. Next, our response of love, our desire to pursue him. So he pursued us. He reached out to us. Look at 1 John chapter 3, verse 3. And everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure. Now, in the meantime, our response to his love is to become like him. That's what we learned in, in verse 2. But it kind of grows here. Flip over to 1 John chapter 2, verse 3. This tells us a little bit more what we're dealing with here. Now, by this we know that we know him if we what? Keep his commandments. If we keep his commandments, okay? He who says, I know him and does not keep his commandments is a liar and the truth is not in him. One who is not seeking to live a life of obedience before God is basically if they say, well, I'm a Christian, I'm, I, I fulfill, I, I'm a follower of Jesus. No, you're not if you're not in pursuance of his obedience. Now, does it mean we obediently hit everything perfectly? No, but when we're not, there's a major struggle going on because we are his, because he's not going to let us be content not being any other way. And that's why the Holy Spirit was given to you in the first place, is to make it known when you're not following him obediently. But whoever keeps his word, truly the love of God is perfected in him. By this, we know that we are in him. There means there's intimacy here. He who says he abides in him ought himself also to walk just as he walked. It's the realizing that he knows the best way. And God is basically revealing his character to us in such a way that we can become like him because that's the best thing for us. To be holy as he is holy. To be pure as he is pure. So here's the application. Our new reality provided by God's love. 
What does that look like? Well, let's do a little comparison. Look on your application there. Unbelievers, those who are not followers of Jesus, actually when they sin, they sin against their creator. Does that make sense? Yeah. They're sinning against, they're coming up short with their creator. Okay? While believers sin against their father. You see, that's the language of who we are. We're believers in Christ. We're followers of Jesus. And therefore, guess what? He's not just creator. It's more personal than that. He's father. He's father. Unbelievers sin against the law of God. While believers, boy, this is convicting, sin against the love of God. That's pretty powerful when you think about it. That love. And then this. Our life as a follower of Jesus should be a pursuing, passionate response to an unimaginable love extended to us by loving God, expressed through the one revealed to us, known as Jesus, which, by the way, happens to be this church's lead story. And so I want to leave you with this question. Can your love for him be described as his love for you? Pursuing and passionate. Pursuing and and passionate. I want to close with this one thought. His pursuing love for us, listen to this, did not end when we came to salvation in him. It continues to today. He is still pursuing us to be more, more, more and more like his son. And we should be pursuing him in such a way that we're moving in that same direction. And so what does that look like? It carries us back to our memory verse this week. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the greatest and the most important command. This is where everything hinges, is your response to his love. Your response to his love. Would you pray with me? Father, we just come to you right now, and we just thank you so much for the love that you have for us, Father. I don't think anyone in this room would say that any of us would be worthy of that love. But Father, we thank you that through Jesus Christ, through Jesus Christ, we've been able to endure and, and have that love that's been presented to us. And for those in this room who have basically, basically said, yes, I want to fully come to a more understanding of that love, who have reached out in obedience, who've reached out in faith and said, yes, I want what you have that they have found salvation through Jesus Christ and his death, burial, and resurrection, that they've found salvation through repentance of sin, that they found this salvation through living by faith. Father, I thank you for that, that they would never lose sight of the fact that you're still pursuing them in your plans and through your work and what you're trying to do in and through this world. But Father, I pray for the one that may be here today that doesn't know you as our Lord and Savior. They've never come to terms with your love. They, they've never responded to your love. I pray today that today they would respond to your love. Lord, we thank you for what you desire in and through us. And Father, we just pray you'll continue to make yourself known to us. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand to your feet at this time? I don't know what God has for you right now. We're going to sing this song. I'll be here at the front. If there's something that God's dealing with you about, I'd love to pray with you about that. If you've never turned your life over to him, listen, you have the greatest need in this room. 
We'd love to show you how you can enter into a personal relationship with Jesus Christ by responding to his love. Would you do that this morning? Would you sing with us?